In the early morning hours of June 10, 1999, in a quiet suburban neighborhood in East Hartford, Connecticut, tragedy strikes the seemingly happy and loving Silk family. But are appearances always as they seem, or is danger lurking just around the corner? I'm Colby. I have my two best friends with me, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. So episode two, we made it. We got episode one out there. We came back for another. So obviously we liked it enough to sign up for number two. We're back. So uh, (laughs) today we've got the story of the Silk family that I am going to be telling. And um, I think what we're actually going to do, because this is going to be a little bit of a shorter case, so we've got some time to actually chat. Um, We were thinking of doing just some introductions, you know, try to build a little street cred for ourselves. Why did we decide to do a true crime podcast? Now, I think that we should let Laura go first because if not, she's going to be so focused on what she's going to say and she's going to forget the facts about herself. Yes. Oh, but see, if I go first, then I can't just say ditto. You go first, Laura. Go ahead. uh, Go ahead. You got this. Well, okay. So I've been a fan of true crime as long as I can remember. Um, I always watched all sorts of documentaries and um, including cops, actually. And I also realized when we um, when we started this uh, podcast and we were thinking about cases and we were talking about what to do, I was like, oh, yeah, I have uh, this book, Cries in the Desert, on my bookshelf in my living room. Um, and uh, that was about the toy box killer. So get excited for that in uh, some episodes in the future. But um, yeah, I would say that's a, a passion of mine. Not the, not the killing, but reading about it. Now, that's a, that's a really casual read about the toy box mm-hmm. killer. Is mm-hmm. that that's what you relax by the pool with? Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. You know, that or or the fiction, I guess that would not be in the true crime category. But, you know, lots of murder mystery type things. So along, lots of murder along the same lines. Yeah. That's How fair. do I do? How do I do? I feel like you got it all in there. Do you know me now? I'm really proud of you. I feel like I know you, and I know that there's something a little off. You're a little twisted, if that's your bullseye reading, yeah. Can you feel my anxiety? Because then you do know me. (laughs) I know you better than I did before, and that's all that matters. Okay. Right? Yeah. You want to go next, Cole? Yeah, I'll go next. So my obsession with true crime definitely started in my childhood. I have very vivid memories of my aunt babysitting my sister and I and us watching Unsolved Mysteries. We were probably mm-hmm. entirely too young to be watching these things, but we we are the twisted ones, my sister and I. We literally sat there, and if they solved the mystery, we would boo. We were such miserable little children. We were like, boo, more crime, more drama. Like, we need more. And when Normal. That's totally normal. Totally normal. And then when it was unsolved or like the person was dead, we were like, yes, this is what we signed up for. Yes. What is unsolved um, mysteries, you know? Right? Wait, so, like you, you've never heard of the show? No, no. Oh. Of course. <laughs> like, well, let me tell you. We're like, okay, so uh, Laura's no longer on the podcast. We're so sorry if anybody sorry, liked she her. Really she reads fiction crime. So. <laughs> Please continue. Okay. So, so yeah, so that, that was basically it. I was a, a twisted child. And then, you know, later in life, my sister and I found out my parents knew some questionable people. Mm. So maybe someday we can do an episode called uh, People My Parents mm. Know. 
I know Laura was quite fond of that name. I was. Um, So maybe we'll do, I won't do any spoilers, but maybe we'll have some fun talking about uh, the Freetown State Forest murders someday. Oh, that's awesome. Did Morbid do uh, an episode on that? Is that that part of that triangle? Um, I don't know if it's a bridgewater it, bridgewater triangle, it is part right? of the triangle it's one of the corners yeah. in the forest but i don't i don't oh. remember if they did it in there i'm intrigued as a side i think that's where um ash was driving through when she yes. saw the screaming bloody woman yes that's what i probably I think yeah I, think um, that's... I have driven through that forest and it just randomly like just started flooding like it had rained a few days before but we were driving and then all of a sudden we were almost underwater like it's a very creepy place to be creepy. wow creepy so, so marina how are you gonna follow that what's your uh <laughs> so what are you about I don't even know if you guys know this story, which is hysterical. It's cool because we've been friends forever. But so I've been into all things spooky and haunted and true crime forever. And I was actually thinking about how in elementary school I played with a Ouija board with my friends because, you know, like kids who are eight should be playing with the occult, basically. (laughs) And uh, I believe the Ouija board said that my mother was going to kill one of the students that we went to school with. And uh, it also said we were talking to the devil. And me and the girl I was doing with, we got so spooked and we spooked out so many kids in the elementary school. They sent out a memo that was like, there shall be no more Ouija board talk in this school. Uh, So I got that out of the way real early. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the true crime realm, um, I was a police explorer because that's the cool thing to do Mm -hmm. in high school. And then I majored in criminal justice in college and uh, concentrated in criminal law and advocacy in law school. And then I did criminal appeals for two years as a lawyer. Um, And I don't do criminal law anymore. And that is why I love talking about crime with you ladies. And why you always say we should consult a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have legit street cred then. We are just, we just like true crime. You have legit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> let's not let's not give me too much credit here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Happily. Any you Thank know. you. Thank you. Anything else we want to chat about or do we wanna jump right in? Anything you guys watch anything good lately? Any any true crime documentaries? Um, so you brought up the girl from Plainville and yes. I was like, Oh, I'm not watching it and haven't watched it and then I started watching it <laughs> and it is blowing my mind. It's blowing my mind. I, I can't wait. I haven't watched it yet. My sister said she was watching. I'm trying to wait until a few more episodes air so I can binge it I all. have not started yet. Like the girl who plays the actual girl, they look almost identical. And I can't wait. So I think we should cover that case because mm-hmm. I can't wait being the, the actual true crime nerd. <laughs> I want to read the actual court transcripts and the actual text because the show is great. But I want to know what is being dramatized and yes, what is like right. the actual fact. Because you watch it and you're like, oh my God, that's insane. She's totally guilty. But how much of it is actually true? I also wonder that even on the like true documentary, and I'm putting that in air quotes, the true documentaries, because it's all editing, right? right. Like you can put it in any order. You can, it's like, it's like the news, but um, you can put right. it in any order. You can, you know, bias it any way and whatever. Like, I think making the mur- making a murderer, right, wasn't that big about how they edited it and, like, the order they put everything. People were up in arms about, like, how they portrayed everything. So, it's all, like yeah, the idea it's all of reading how you the frame it. Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. how you frame it. Yeah. Well, I saw even editing episode one of the podcast, mm-hmm. like, we could architect sentences mm-hmm. that weren't there before. Is this what I'm actually saying? Well, I don't Who know. Knows? We're going to find no, out. No, 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 no. <laughs> 
Shout out to our sound guy, editor, and number one gremlin, my husband, Mike. You're the real MVP. Yeah. MVG. I'm sorry. Oh. Most valuable gremlin. <laughs> I love it. Trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> Copyrighted. We should probably talk to a lawyer, guys. About that. <laughs> we need to consult an attorney. <laughs> can we can we hear about the Silk family now? Because yes, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You guys are ready for this? I literally know nothing about this case. I didn't because you guys, I think, had talked about it and put it on the list. But I yes have. Cole told no me idea. like the base facts. I don't know like if excited should be the <laughs> word that we're using to describe like our sensation towards this case. But I get it. I get the I get the sentiment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with not excited, but you know the the podcast is not called Grim for nothing, guys. Correct, right? Correct. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're talking about sunshine and, and unicorns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So so today we're going to be talking about the Silk family from East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, we're going to go back to the year 1999 for today's case. So a couple things like to, Prince. Yes, just like <laughs> Prince, except we're not going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> uh, so Y2K is looming on the horizon. Ooh, I remember that. Gas was $1.22 a gallon, if you can believe that right now. No. No. Wow. All of us were in middle school. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Silk family were, by all appearances, a happy family of six. Um, so, so who were they? There was Kelly Silk, mother and wife, 32 years old, so right around our age. Uh, Charles Silk, dad and husband, 39. And then four kids, Jessica Mullen, who was Kelly's kid from a previous okay. relationship. Uh, she's nine years old. There was Jennifer Silk, who was about three, daughter, Jonah Silk, who was two, and lastly, baby Joshua, who was two months old. Can I just say God bless them for having a Uh three-year-old, a two-year-old, and I'm sorry, what was the last one? Two months? Two months. So she had, they had three kids under three. That is a tenuous situation in that house. Let me just tell you that right now. Is there even a word for that? Like, I know if you have two kids close, it's Irish twins. Is there something triplets? You would probably just say, I have three under three. Just have three under three. And that's, and everyone would say, oh, wow, do you need some wine? Bless you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She needed some wine. (laughs) Let me tell you. Yeah. Anybody would with, with that many children. Um, But just, you know, just to give you guys an origin story for the family. So Charles and Kelly met at a singles meeting. So this is back before the days of swiping left and tinder <laughs> and match.com so they actually met irl at a bar um or actually i don't know if it was at a bar i'm just kind of adding that for color it was a singles meeting i assume one does that at a bar uh, there definitely was alcohol involved there, there must yeah. have been alcohol um so they they met in either 94 or 95 but they were married in a civil ceremony in december of 1995 civil ceremony what is that dif- how is that different than is that a regular marriage or is that different than- i don't know oh, yeah. <laughs> Just I think fancy. so. Uh, I'm going out on a limb here and guessing. Marriage is like the actual Catholic sacrament, oh. so people will call it marriage. But if you just get married with like a justice of the peace, oh. you are technically married in the eyes of the state. But like the term marriage is like an actual sacrament with the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. So if I had to T-I-L. guess, if I had okay. to guess, it's a grim fact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guess I had a civil ceremony as well. <laughs> All right. So, so let's just lay out a timeline here, right? So in, in sometime at the beginning of 1994, these two don't even know each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then by 1999, by April of 1999, they have welcomed three new children into their life, right? Because Jessica was her kid from a prior marriage. So they, they kind of jumped oh. right on in full force. That's aggressive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. So what were they like, right? So they, along with their four children, they were members of the Truth Baptist Church in South Windsor, Connecticut. So Mm -hmm. the next town over from where they all lived. Did I used to drive by that by any chance to go to your old condo? Yep. Yep. 
I know that church pretty well. Yeah. Not from attending it, but from driving by it. We have not set foot in it. So they were so active in their church that you could actually make a case for saying that their lives revolved around their church. Mm. Um, So their fellow parishioners described them as a seemingly happy and loving family. um, And many of them actually admired the Silk family. Mm. They said that they would sit in church together every week with the husband with Charles's arm around Kelly. Mm. um, And she was often like, you know, tending to the children, right? Giving them kisses on the forehead, um, you know, looking at them lovingly. I need to stop hitting this thing. (laughs) Talking with your hands. Yes, stop talking with my hands. So... Um, sit on them. <laughs> <laughs> so so neighbors would have described Kelly um, as a happy and upbeat person. You know, she, she had had some struggles with depression in the past, but she was on the up and up. Um, by all accounts, she lived to serve other people. Hmm. She loved to help. Um, I had read that she used to cook weekly meals for parishioners like some hmm. of the elderly and, and like nice. worse off members of the church. And she would actually bring them their food. Right. So somebody who very much is in the service of others. Did she teach CC? too because that's like the she did not teach ccd however her husband charles taught bible lessons which i'm assuming is probably similar to ccd correct yep so charles was a devoutly religious man who loved god and loved his family he worked at a commercial printing press in hartford um, and he actually used his printing skills to make vacation bible school flyers oh so his you know his former co-workers described him as a quiet man who didn't really talk too much about his private life when he was at work but they did note that he had this habit of coming into the office early uh, so he could try to put in the hours so he could leave early to drive his kids around to the places they needed to go so that's fair talk about a good dad right Um, for the children, Jessica's really the only one who was old enough that I could find any kind of a description mm. on, right? Cause three under three, I, I couldn't really find mm-hmm. too much about them. I'm sure they were all sweet, lovely children. Um, but Jessica actually sang in the church's youth mm. choir, and she attended Emmanuel Christian Academy. Um, friends of the family said she had an engaging, gap-toothed smile, and her oh. resemblance to her mother was super clear. Um so I, I think for this one, what we're going to do, because there's no trial with this case, mm. and you, you guys will see it's very clear why there's no trial. Um, I'm actually going to just jump right into what happened, and mm. then we're going to spend some time talking about why. Mm, uh, okay. Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to be mad at me. There is not a clear motive in this mm. case. People don't really know. There's a lot of speculation as to why what happened happened, but Nothing there's confirmed. nobody. Yeah, nobody can confirm mm. exactly what happened. Um. So early in the morning hours of Thursday, June 10th at their home in East Hartford, Connecticut. Is this 98? Um, in 1999. 99, okay. In 99. Prince. We're partying like it's 99. I'm sorry. God. All right. So we're, <laughs> it's early, in, like super early in the morning. It's sometime between midnight and 1 a.m. Um, when this all kind of goes down in the beginning. So Kelly and her husband are asleep in their bedroom. Um, Jessica is in a in her bedroom. Jonah and Jennifer share a room. Um, and then the baby Josh is in his bassinet in his parents' bedroom. Um, so sometime between like midnight and, and 1.15-ish, Kelly just starts stabbing Charles while he's asleep. Um, he wakes up, obviously, in the middle of this being stabbed by his wife at the time. And Jessica, oh. whose room is down the hallway somewhere... Um, she was also asleep. I'm imagining she was jolted awake by yeah. hearing her dad's screams. And um, I know he's not her biological father, but she calls him dad. Mm. Um, so she heard her dad's screams and she ran into the bedroom to see her mom holding a kitchen knife. Oh, that is horrifying. Yeah. Yes. I, I, what goes through your mind when you walk in you there and think you you're see having a scene. dream or something like you can't possibly think that's real. I mean, especially at nine, you're not like, maybe maybe you would because you're watching on Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. But, 
but like you're typically not exposed to you know what i mean so i don't know so so she's in there so her mom so kelly turns around and she sees that jessica is in there Kelly starts stabbing Jessica now. So Jessica gets stabbed 61 times. Oh my gosh. And that's like, it's like a crime of passion. And she's nine. Oh my gosh. She's nine. I'm like, Uh, I'm disturbed to my core. So when she's done, once Kelly is done with Jessica, yes, it's definitely sip of wine time. So, so Kelly then after she has stabbed Jessica 61 times, she starts dousing herself in a flammable liquid. I'm assuming it's gasoline, so I I'm going to probably just say gas. Kelly or was dousing herself? Herself. Yes. So Kelly kills her husband, stabs her oldest daughter and then covers herself in a flammable liquid. Could it be like nail polish remover? Cuz I get really freaked out when I like paint my nails next to I'm being serious. When I paint my nails next to a candle and then I use like nail polish remover and it's like got 50 labels on it that says extremely flammable. Maybe it was nail polish remover. It, like it pure could, acetone. It could have been it could have been anything that went up in flames. Just I hypothesizing. Suppose. You said there are no facts. Uh, so <laughs> she my facts. <laughs> It, okay, it is not clear to me if Kelly intended to pour gas on Jessica as a part of what was going on right mm-hmm. now, but she gets some gas on Jessica. Mm. So Kelly lights the fire. Um, she ends up, Kelly herself ends up passing away from asphyxia from flash fire because she went up in flames. Um, she's in this house. The fire quickly starts oh to God. spread throughout the house. I think um, you guys had heard me say that, you know, a couple of the kids were asleep in another bedroom. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I, I'm hoping and praying that they were asleep the whole time that this happened. But um, Jennifer and Jonah pass away from smoke mm. inhalation and burn. Oh so they were asleep at the time all of this is going down. Because remember, it's about 1 a.m. Right. Um, I'm sorry. Did Jessica survive? We're gonna, yes, she did. We're going to get there. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry to, like, spoiler so, alert you, but yeah. I'm, like, blown away that I don't understand how she survived 61 stabs. I and then you either. mentioned she got some flammable liquid on her. And I'm just mm-hmm. blown away that the yep. two kids in a different bedroom do not survive. Yes. I'm sorry. So so if we go back to the house, so jo- and Josh was in the master bedroom, right, where this kind of all started. Um, Josh was going to survive, too. So there are two survivors from the family this night. Josh uh, was the two-month-old? Yes, he's the two-month-old that's in the bathroom. Because he was in the room, mm-hmm. wasn't he? But I, I think somewhere close, maybe from from what I can tell, like Jessica may have met her mom somewhere almost in the hallway, like okay. like entering oh, the room. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I don't think the fire was lit directly in the bedroom. I think it was in the hall, which is probably why it spread like to the other room. So yeah, okay. wow, so that makes a little more. Sense. So somehow while this is all going on against all odds, Jessica makes it out of the house <laughs> and she runs to a neighbor's house. Um, the neighbors who are sound asleep at this time are awoken to Jessica screaming outside oh. and a strange light that they see on this person oh. who is screaming. So they open the door and Jessica's literally on fire. <gasps> so her hair is on fire. She's bleeding profusely. She's screaming hysterically. Um, and the neighbors tell her to drop and roll to put the fire oh out. My God. Uh, my so God. They, they help her and they stop the fire. But when they get the fire to stop, they're like, she's still bleeding. What is happening? Oh my God. So they find out, right, like she had she had wounds on her the open wounds that she's bleeding on and or bleeding from and as she's doing all of this she's saying my mommy had a nightmare oh oh my god so, i have such a goosebumps so this when you awful. were saying like yeah. does she know what's happening like her yeah. mind the way she interpreted it was mom was having a nightmare she doesn't know what's oh. happening and like 
help me. So the the family, the neighbors who she had went to, I I believe their last name is pronounced Prigge, P-R-I-G-G-E. They're going to they're going to be important in a little bit when we talk about some of the aftermath of Mm. this. But the neighbors were the assistant pastor, Mm. Chad Prigge, and then his wife, Sarah. So um, they call 911. They, you know, they tell the operators exactly like where the rooms are in the house because, you know, they're familiar with this family, right? Because this family goes to their church. Mm So um, they tell them. But by the time fire, EMS, all Mm -hmm. those people get there, it's already too late. Um, So that's kind of, you know, the night in itself as the crime happens. Jessica and Joshua rush to hospital, separate hospital. So Joshua was actually brought to Mass General. Um, and Jessica was brought to Connecticut Children's Medical Center. Wow. Was there a re- was it, was there a reason that they were sent to different places? I think just the severity of their injuries and like the specialists or the right care teams mm-hmm. for okay. each of the kids. Joshua did come back to a hospital in Connecticut after a brief stay at Mass General, but I I, I think just from my own experience, I know like growing up in Massachusetts, when there's something bad or you need a specialist, mm, usually you go to Mass General. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're like it's like one of the best in the world. I think. So. Yeah. Wow. So so after they recover, right, Jessica um, and Joshua, and it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. There are stories of people who were like tending to Jessica when she was in the hospital oh. and she asked what happened. Um, and the, the person who was retelling this, his name was Aldo uh, Vieiras. He was a like a family friend of Kelly's. They went to high school together. So he's with Jessica. Um, and she went through each member of her family one by oh. one and asked what happened to each of them. And they had to break the news to her. And they said, like, for somebody who was as young as she was, like, she she answered all of the questions of her when she oh. was questioned. Like, she was super well composed. Um, she she just she's very, very impressive. Wow. She probably did better than most adults would because mm. adults would be trying to make sense of it. I mean, I'm sure yeah. she was, too. But you can't. I mean, when you're nine years old, you can't comprehend yeah. the evils in the yeah. world. And that's not even like our typical. I say typical like we've done 100 episodes, but like our typical murderer or something. You know, this is not somebody who like was premeditated coming yep. across, you know, stalking them and whatever. So it's like a totally different. I don't even know because I, I don't know the story if it's evil yet or if it's like you know i don't know it's just oh that mm-hmm. poor, horrifying poor family and so after right after they recover jessica her bio dad actually shows up and he is living in minnesota at the time and jessica goes to stay with her biological oh. father um joshua there's actually a very fascinating custody battle that happens regarding who joshua is going to be with oh. um and the neighbors right that the the Pregi family mm-hmm. i mentioned so they are the associate or the husband, right, is the associate pastor at the, the family's church. And they said that Kelly and Charles had been talking to them recently. And they said, you know, in the event that something happens to us, we want you guys to raise, raise our children. We want, you know, want them raised in the church. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the Prigge family said that wasn't unusual because a, a lot of people at the church asked them if they would take care of their kids in the event that something happened to them. So. Um, I don't know exactly how close to the event they did it, but Kelly and Charles actually changed their wills to say that the Prigge family would get custody of their children in the event that something happened to them. Fascinating. Oh, wow. And I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, so we're looking at it, we're like, that's so su- suspicious, that's so <laughs> yeah. weird, how could that happen? But you never know, that's why. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if a lot of other people order. did it, so, right. like, if that's a common thing. Yes, and the guy who was with Jessica, right, Aldo, um, 
he was actually the one that was supposed to get custody of the kids before the change to the will. Um, Because I had mentioned he was Kelly's really good friend from high school. Um, You know, from what I could tell, they stayed in contact over the years. They were still friends at the time that this tragedy occurred. Um, And so he was saying, like, no, this is these were Kelly's wishes. And and ultimately, um, the court did end up ruling in favor of the Vieira family instead of the Pregis. It's interesting because the will actually had the other family. But there were a couple weird things that happened. Right. So so first. Um, this custody battle, it was drawn out. It was three years it took for this oh. to get settled. Um, so that the Pregi family, right, they're very tied in with this church, and there's a lot of interesting things about the church that we're, we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was mention that they couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't hit the kids if they acted out. They believed in corporal punishment. Oh. Um, there was a lot of things pointing to something they called the rod of correction, which almost looked like a oh, like boy. a paddle that you oh. would reprimand children with. Um, so the courts were like, yeah, we're not going to put somebody in foster care. Baptist, um, or I guess we'll talk about it. Adoptive parents can't. But like as a, a Baptist church isn't typically like really extreme, is it? I didn't know. I So I tried to look up the church and I, I know that this event happened in the 90s, right? In 99. So I don't know, like it's different leadership at the church today. True. It just kind of sounded like maybe they're a bit less progressive than some other mm. churches in the area are now. They were very much like the the Bible is the word of God and everything. Nothing trumps this. We do this. Yeah, but it's also going to be, it might not necessarily be the church. You're going to get very specific types of parishioners in any sort of church. You know what I'm saying? So like if I go to church amongst people like me, you'll have someone who's extremely devout who may use the rod of punishment, (laughs) you know, in their home, whereas that's not my jam. True. True. It might not be church specific. Oh, for some reason I imagined the, the, what is it? The rod of punishment? I believe. The rod of correction. Oh, correction. correction. I'm sorry. Um, I imagined it at the church. <laughs> is that not? <laughs> I, I don't think it was on display some, at the church. So that's why I was like imagining you had like these kid like kids speaks out in church. And you're like up to the corner. <laughs> no, apparently it, it's like part of the consideration process for when you want to be a foster parent oh, okay. or an adoptive parent. It's like something they actually review because they will not place ch- children in homes that believe in corporal punishment. So it, it was a red flag. I got for it. Them. Okay. Yeah, I think it's also very interesting that they just came out and said that. I guess if yeah. it's your genuine belief yeah. and you don't think there's anything wrong with yeah. it, you wouldn't think anything of telling, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. DCF that you're like, no, I totally believe in paddling my children. <laughs> the the other thing that they thought was interesting, um, they they said the, the Vieira family argued that Kelly and Charles changed their will under duress, right? Like, mm-hmm. they were not in the right frame of mind when they did this. Obviously, look what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that may have played into the decision, but there was a, like, a licensed psychologist who was consulting on all of this, and interestingly enough, like, she did say she thought both families would be warm, loving homes for the children. There were just a few things that weighed in favor of one versus the mm-hmm. other. Um, and then the larger factor was actually that Josh had been placed with the Vieira, Vieira's family from the beginning. Mm. So they thought it would be more disruptive to remove him from that household and place him with yeah. somebody else. I was going to ask that. Like, this, if this took three years, where were the kids during this? So were they all with that family? No, Jessica was with her bio dad. Oh, okay. Do we know anything about him? Like, why, why she didn't, I guess they probably didn't want to get separated, but why she didn't live with him or see him as much? Um, I, I think it was 
just like circumstance. I mean, he was in mm, Minnesota sure. and Kelly lived in Connecticut. Kelly was like born and raised in Connecticut, was in the military, I believe the Navy. And then shortly after she got pregnant with Jessica, she came back home. Interesting. Uh, so I, I think it was just like geography <laughs> for why yeah, she didn't live that with makes her dad. Sense. He, he seemed like, like from all conversations and Kelly's family members, like he did seem like he was a good supportive mm. father. It wasn't like there was a malicious reason right. why she didn't live with him before. I think a lot, kids end up with their moms a lot of the time, yeah. right? So so once everything is all settled away, I, I can't, I cannot find a lot of information, probably understandably so, about where Jessica and Joshua are today. Mm. Um, Jessica does go by a different last name, right? Mm. Because she was from a different relationship. So her last name is Mullen. Um, I found a blog that was jessicamullen.com. I have no idea mm-hmm. if it's her, but I like to think that it is because the blog is all about this person who like grows through meditations and very much focuses mm-hmm. on herself. And I just, I like to think of that I, as the I would future like to that Jessica that. achieved. Yeah, that yeah. would be nice. Joshua, I just, I just hope he was so young that, yeah, you know, not that nobody tells him about this, but hopefully he was just so young that he doesn't have like any mental or emotional scars from what occurred. Yeah, right. Wow. I mean, and even if somebody told him about it it's not the same as no right. you know jessica who lived it who lived it and got stabbed 61 times that is That's insane in, like think of how small a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old is old. like where it would be every yeah. square inch of your body how did she survive i have no idea was it like Luck, a, I, was it like a paring knife no it was a kitchen knife <gasps> oh my gosh it must have just, I can only imagine just like in whatever state of mind Kelly was in, like that mm. blind rage or, or whatever was happening, like maybe the cuts were not deep or just weirdly like she got lucky, like they weren't in the right places for any of them to be yeah, fatal. That's insane. That's divine intervention right there. Seriously. Yes. So I told you guys you not to hate me. I didn't want you to be mad. So why did this happen? Right. The answer is you don't know. End the of podcast. <laughs> is I do not know. However, many people speculate that Kelly was struggling with postpartum depression. Mm. Um, and in fact, she had an extensive history of mental illness, which mm. included postpartum depression previously. Um, I did not keep I did not give you this grim fact earlier, but Kelly's mother actually committed suicide when she oh. was seven years old. Oh my gosh. So as a seven-year-old child, I I don't know if Kelly was home, if she found her mother. I don't know any of that information. Nothing was available on that. But, you know, as a seven-year-old, you lose your mother to suicide. Yeah, none of it matters. She could have have been in Europe when it happened, and that is going to affect you to your very core. And mental health is very genetic. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a genetic component to that. So that's... Mm. Oh so, my gosh. So Kelly's uh, Kelly's father never remarried after this event. So she was raised by a single father. Um, he always had a steady job. By all accounts, he was a great dad. Uh, he passed away as well, unfortunately, from cancer in 1994. So mm-hmm. right around the time mm-hmm. that Kelly meets Charles or shortly before she meets Charles, um, she loses her father. And from what I saw, neighbors who were in the area where Kelly grew up, like where her parents' house was, they said that like her father's passing really did a number on her. Mm. She like, was really young, right? You said she was like 32 and 99, right? So in 94, yeah, 27. That's say, really go ahead young. And do that math. Yeah, <laughs> do I that did it quick. Did you see it? Yeah. I did. I, I saw no the cogs turning. Yeah, <laughs> so proud. That's really young to lose your dad. So she yeah. loses her mom at seven, and then she loses her dad at 27. That's really hard. And then mm. you have like a basketball team worth of children. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So there's. It, 
I, and again, we'll we'll get there. I don't mean to do any spoilers, but there's not a lot of family support for Kelly, right? Mm. She's she doesn't have either of her parents who are around. Was she an only child? Do you know? She wasn't, mm. but that doesn't mean she oh, was in contact with her sister. Oh man. Um. So another grim fact about uh, about Kelly. This wasn't the first time she experienced postpartum depression. So she's got these three kids under three, right? Um, I'm going to lay out a little bit of a timeline for you guys here. So in 1997, there's Jessica and Jennifer for the mm-hmm. two kids, right? Charles's family calls DCF due to concerns of Kelly's mental state and abuse that they had observed with the children. Um, so DCF, they, they investigate mm-hmm. and they determine that, you know, Kelly nice girl she had had some problems with depression in the past but she doesn't really seem to be suffering right now so they said these concerns are unfounded um so that so they left. really Case extreme to, like imagine calling like i feel like it would have to be a pretty dire situation to call dcf on your right like what family. did she see yeah like i don't think you would probably talk to them first or try to figure out or talk to charles or something to try to see you would because you're a reasonable person sure. but you have other people that will call dcf and say i saw a kid in the supermarket and they weren't wearing a jacket and it was 30 <laughs> degrees outside True. and it's like okay well kids can't wear jackets in car seats like why are you calling dcf like yeah you're approaching it very logically yeah reasoned I'd... well reasoned thank you not always the case <laughs> no no not surprisingly shortly after this they cut ties with charles's mother so now we are estranged from oh, kelly's parents gosh. charles's mother I didn't really see much about Charles's father. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not too sure if he was in the picture or anything. So we're just going to assume it's it's very minimal family mm-hmm. support that's surrounding them. Um, so this is 97. By May of 1999, now we've got three kids: Jessica, Jennifer, and Jonah. Uh, Kelly actually overdosed on Prozac in May of 1998. Mm-hmm. The police were called to the home, but she survived the overdose. And Prozac Prozac is an antidepressant, right? Is Prozac right? is an anti-anxiety medication. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Which I, I can't tell for how long she was taking it, right. but it, it was a medication that she was prescribed. Okay. So they were her pills. All right. So so by April of 1999, she's got baby Joshua. And this is when she starts to feel the, the thoughts of depression creeping back in. Um, do you remember that was how, a haunted motorcycle, by the way. <laughs> it is a haunted motorcycle. <laughs> um, do you remember how I told you guys that she used to prepare meals for people at her church? Yeah. Yes. So shortly after she had Joshua, she stopped doing that. Um, so one of her friends was very concerned about her. Mm. It was it was out of character for her to just kind of lose interest in the things that had made her very happy, as people who are suffering from depression tend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so her friend talked to her and said, like, look, I, I'm concerned. And Kelly said, you know, you're right. I haven't really been feeling myself lately. Like, I've, I've been depressed. I, I don't really know what to do. Mm. Um, so she she did try to seek help. You know, her, her friend encouraged her to seek help. I think there were some other people within the church, like other parishioners that she had spoken to who had told Charles or her to to find some sort of help for Kelly. So it wasn't like it was a secret that yeah. she was struggling with, with depression. Um, she did try to get help from a associate pastor at her church, a one Chad Preggy. So this same guy who keeps showing up, right, the neighbor, the person yep. who wanted custody of Joshua, um, he tells her, that you know this this church doesn't really believe in medication so you don't you don't need that what you need is you need to ask god for help with overcoming your depression we saw how well that worked in uh, episode one with joshua komosarjewski yes 
Um, and, and actually, I only found one article that mentioned this, but it was in there, so it was a local paper, and I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, one of the things that they found, like Cruz found, when they were going through the wreckage mm-hmm. from the uh, the Silk household was a group of worksheets entitled True Happiness, Overcoming Depression the Biblical Way. Oh. One worksheet said, note how you have to change to be blessed. Evaluate how you measure up to the descriptions of the blessed man. Note when you are failing to be and do the things that God says brings blessedness. Which, as we said in episode one, if that was maybe paired with professional help and maybe medicine. Medicine that fixes a chemical imbalance, Uh perhaps. Yes. I'm wondering what the timing was of her seeking help from this Chad guy and when she changed her will. I was thinking the same thing. And when... Yep. This ultimately went down because now it sounds extra suspicious. I'm not saying it doesn't yeah. happen where they don't change the right. will because they want them raised in the church. But this, if this guy knew that she was struggling with the depression, I'm wondering if the court knew that. And that's one of the things that led to them granting Probably custody to the other because family. because they felt that if something were to happen with Joshua in the future and he needed treatment, they thought that the Prigi family was far less likely to seek medical attention. So I, I do believe that that factored into the decision. Huh. Interesting. So I, I think you, you guys are seeing a pattern here, mm-hmm. right? Have a baby, mm. go through a bout of postpartum depression. Have another baby, not even a year later, go through another bout of postpartum depression. Have a third baby. Doesn't it take like a really long time for your hormones and everything to get back to normal too after having a baby? Because if she had had a child that um, duration in between, she would have been pregnant like what three months after she had the first the kid like that's insane there's so, there's no way her hormones went back to that's normal. what i mean like yeah. so it's not on top of what was sounding like pre-existing issues now you have your body like hasn't recovered in five years you know or longer so awful i think i read a statistic a statistic once that said that they recommend medically that you wait like a year and a half to two years to have another kid because your body right. needs that time to recover. And like, especially if you're breastfeeding a child, like you can get, like they warned me about this. They said, if you're breastfeeding for a year, when you stop breastfeeding, that's when you can get all the postpartum depression right. symptoms and issues that are normally associated oh, with immediately after childbirth because your body's, the hormones are completely different breastfeeding than... When you're done. I did not know that either. That's a grim fact. (laughs) It is grim. Um, So, so there's, there's a pattern here, right? There is a repeatable pattern and it is well documented and many people are aware of this pattern that exists. Um, Kelly really, she checked all of the boxes for somebody who was at risk of developing postpartum depression. Um, Right. We've talked a couple of times, three kids under three, her and her husband were both estranged from several family members. Um, so what what is postpartum depression, right? Because I found a lot of literature about this. And um, Marina, maybe you could shed some light on some of this. But it, it seems like something called the baby blues is pretty common. 
Um, and it happens like a few hours to two mm. weeks after you give birth. And it's like a period of time where your emotions are running wild. You could be irritable. You might cry for no reason. Postpartum depression is not that. It is like next level that. Um, My friend um, who had, when she had a baby, she said the first two weeks after she had her son were the hardest of her entire life. And she said it was because of that. It was just this release of emotion, of hormones, of everything and just awful she and she said most people don't talk about it because you kind of like you're kind of often home or you know in the the core family for those first two weeks anyway so that was the first i'd ever heard of even that part i read that your hormones uh, specifically estrogen and progesterone is that how you'd say that other one progesterone progesterone they increase 10 times when you are pregnant and within hours of you giving birth they return back to your pre-pregnancy levels so i mean think about like Think about when you're feeling like really emotional that time of the month and then you add in like an extreme hormone surge and then you add in complete sleep deprivation and then you add in this fact that you're taking care of a tiny human that like especially for first time moms or if you're already struggling like you're taking care of this human like I would just get up at three o'clock in the morning with my child and just weep just just sit there weeping while I'm feeding my child like it's very you're really selling kids for me and Colby yeah like it's, really, I, I so just weep in the middle of the night by myself. I don't, I don't need a beautiful. child to weep with. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I will say though, it's like it's like getting a tattoo, which I don't think you guys have tattoos. We either do not have tattoos. <laughs> okay, but for people that have Who's tattoos, making the right like, decisions here. It's so painful. And then like two weeks later, you're like, man, I need another tattoo because you know it's just great. See, but we never went through the pain, and we still right. feel that way. You know, there must be something to it though, because she's got two kids. Mm-hmm. And more than two tattoos. And more than two tattoos. <laughs> I yes. do have more than, and I'm afraid of needles, so <laughs> must be something. Just batting a thousand over here. <laughs> uh, so, so postpartum depression. So it is a form of major depression that begins within four weeks of delivery. Um, it is not known what causes it, but it's believed the condition is related to the chemical changes going on in your body, plus a whole host of other risk factors. Um, which include having a genetic predisposition Mm. for depression. So if you have a family history of depression, you're more likely to develop depression. If you personally have a history with depression or postpartum depression, which Kelly did, you are more likely to to develop postpartum depression. If you do not have a strong support network, which I think we know at this point in time, they do not have a strong support network to really rely on. Um, And if you have stress in your life, you are at more risk to develop mm. it. We didn't talk about this, but shortly before Charles met Kelly, he actually filed for bankruptcy. Oh, geez. Um, and I did read that like financial struggles were a problem for them. Not necessarily in the way that like they were going to file for bankruptcy or anything again, right? But but probably in the way that like some of us will stress about money yeah, today. Paycheck to paycheck kind of um, thing. Yeah, exactly. What right? did they paycheck do? To paycheck. What did they do for work again? Did you say? I could not find what Kelly did for work. She she may have been a stay-at-home yeah. mom. Which could be its own addition to that problem. So yes. That's crazy. Yeah. The the stress, I mean. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially when she's finances. at home with three kids under yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. So, a grim fact for you. A little, little thing on Charles here. You're full of them, huh? Um, Charles, good. before he met Kelly, he was married. So, Kelly's actually Charles's mm-hmm. second marriage. Uh, Charles divorced his first wife because she tried to attack him in his sleep. Wow. So this guy, yeah, this guy did not have good luck. He did not have good luck. Wow. So unfortunate for Charles. Right? Yeah. What are the odds of that? And 
Shortly after they got divorced, his ex-wife moved to California and... Killed her kids? Committed suicide. Oh, oh my gosh. So wow. Charles has a type. Had, had Charles had a type. And um, a black cloud following yeah. him. Yes. Wow. Very ominous. Um, so I am going to take a second here to say if you or someone you know is struggling with depression in any way, shape, or form, guys, please do not be afraid to ask for help. Um, I personally have gone through struggles with depression and anxiety, and I know it can be really scary and really difficult to ask for help. Um, but sometimes the strongest thing you can do is ask mm. for assistance. Like you are surrounded by people who love you, whether or not you think that they do, they oh, definitely do. Um, so what we're going to do is in our show notes, we're going to put some links like the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Line. We're going to put the phone number for Postpartum Support International um, and just a couple of other things that mm-hmm. we found out there. So um, just if anybody is wondering, there's a whole ad campaign right now that I've seen on TV that's really funny. It's about like encouraging friends to have the mm. awkward conversation with their other friends. I see it a lot on ESPN. Interesting. Um, and, and the whole punchline is basically that like having the awkward conversation up front is much better than the, the conversation this mm. this is grim uh it's much better than the conversation that you could be having at the person's yeah. funeral oh, gosh. Oh. um so just that's one thing about us i have to say is that like all three of us will get anxious or we'll oh, have yeah. feelings and we're just like completely open about them and just we just each talk each other through it and i feel like our generation is getting a little bit better mm. about talking through some of those issues and getting help and help is far more accessible nowadays yes. Yes, than absolutely. it ever was so yep yeah. Well, there's even there's so many apps that you can you can download and a lot of health insurances will cover them yep. like totally free of charge uh, because right it, it's in the health insurance company's best interest <laughs> that, right. that you remain healthy and alive and alive um, your your mental wellness right mental health mm-hmm. is also health and, and we we've come a long way in removing the stigma um, but there's still a long way to go yeah agree. So uh, now that I'm leaving you all on this uh, depressing note here, <laughs> I, uh, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. We, uh, we hope you learned a little something and uh, we hope you stay alive so you can check out episode three next week. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast. Or if you have any suggestions for cases we should take a look at, shoot us an email. Go old school at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.